Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. From the book of Luke, the 15th chapter, and beginning with the 11th verse, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking, and he is speaking to answer a very personal, direct question, but he answers them in this parable, one that we have known for our youth up, but I hope that we do not know it so well, that we won't pay attention to what it is trying to say to us today. Says a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me this year of the estate that falls to me, and he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into his field to feed swine. And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swines were eating, and no one was given anything uh, to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hard men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me of one of your hard men. And he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf, kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found, and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began to inquire what these things might be. And he said to him, Your brother has come. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry, was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began entreating him. But he entered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a kid that I might be merry with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, My child, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to be merry and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, was lost and has been found. And Lord, help us to understand what you're trying to tell us today as a way of life. 
there are many things that a person would live for and do so gladly and with a great deal of enthusiasm and, and joy. And rightly so, but something to die for. Now that's a different situation altogether. And that is a different situation. What would you be willing to die for right now? Fame, power, pleasure, knowledge. What would it really amount to if you were offered this room full of money? If you would die today? Well, you might think about it in relation to someone or your family that you love very dearly. To if you could leave it to them, but for your use, it'd be worthless, would it not? What would you be willing to die for? There's one interesting thing uh, that is at the top of the list to die for. And it's not money, power, fame, knowledge, and all these other things that are wonderful, good within uh, their time and place, uh, but love. When one looks at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and the deeds that he did, and when we consider the heart of the controversy that uh, was always uh, swirling around the Lord Jesus Christ, you think about it and the life and the words and the acts of the Lord Jesus Christ can be reduced to one simple solitary thing that can be pointed to in a very vivid way with a question. Now, you can take the entire Bible from one end to the other, and you can take the total life of the Lord Jesus Christ and everything he said. You see, the Pharisees and scribes, they were very wise and very intelligent people, in a sense. And they were the elite of their society, there's no question about that. And you can take all that they said and all that Jesus said and can reduce it to one question. To strike at the very heart of what the scripture, what God, what the Lord Jesus Christ, and what the Holy Spirit is all about and what we as a church should be about today. And that question is simply this. What does God think about sinners? What does God think about a sinner? That's the question. And that points to the very heart of all that God has done and is doing today. And this is precisely the question that prompted Jesus to make this statement and to give this parable that you and I are so familiar with that we can almost quote it word for word from our memory. This is the question. What does God think about sinners? It is interesting. And so the Pharisees asked the question. I am not quite sure of their motivation. I would have to trust that maybe they were really. The question that they put to the Lord Jesus Christ came from their heart. I do not know. But to say the least that they were very concerned. And they were very concerned about uh, what they were thinking in relation to the Messiah. And as they watched the Lord Jesus Christ, they were a little bit confused. And the reason that they were confused was about three, mainly. They were confused in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ because the Lord Jesus Christ was not as they. He was not uh, preoccupied with the law. And I have a rabbi, and the days of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, was in the position of those who are skilled in law today. And every rabbi was supposed to be a master of the law. And he was supposed to spend his time talking about the law and explaining the law and telling people what the law really was. And the law was precise as it is today. And it was unbending in that day. And as they looked at the Lord Jesus Christ, 
They saw that he was not as precise as the law demanded for one to be to be a rabbi. And not only that, when he talked about the law, the few times that he did, he was always distorting the law to them. And he was saying things about the law that did not need to be said. And instead of talking about the law the way that he should, he spent his time talking about love. And he talked about love so much that he nearly drove them mad straight up the wall. And it was very disturbing to them when they looked at the situation and saw his acts and saw that instead of keeping the law the way that he was supposed to, that instead of that, that he actually broke the law. And the clincher came and their attitude and in their thinking. Uh, when they observed the Lord Jesus Christ, that wherever he went and whatever he was doing, he was always connected with sinners. And the straw that broke the camel's back is the day that Jesus Christ went to the house of Simon on invitation and was having a meal with him. And there was an known prostitute in the town that came and stood at his feet and cried and wept. And the tears fell upon his feet so much so that she felt that it was necessary for her to take the hair of her head and to dry his feet. And this was too much. They were very crafty people and very clever. And so they set a trap for the Lord Jesus Christ. And they baited it with the sweetest words that they knew. They said, Rabbi and good master, oh, how sweet and deadly. What does God think of a sinner? It seems to be so innocent, so innocent. But dear ones, this is a trap that those who live with Jesus set and baited in order to do him in. Now it comes to us this way. The Lord Jesus Christ answered their question. He tells them this most famous story, but dear ones, it was not famous in his day and in their day. It was not famous at all. In fact, this, this father that the Lord Jesus Christ was talking about was a stereotype for them because they did not know a father in their day that was as uh, reassuring as this father was and outgoing because the father that they knew was more restrained and reserved. Not only did they did not know this type of a father, but they did not know this type of a father's love that Jesus was talking about. It is something that they could understand, I'm quite sure, something that they could recognize, uh, but to, to really to understand it to, by having experienced it, I doubt whether there's a one there that day that really understood by experience now what the Lord Jesus Christ was saying. And the answer that the Lord Jesus Christ gave them to this question what does God think of a sinner as he pictured and painted this picture for them of a loving father? For this answer, he would die. He would die. For from this time forth, they plotted to kill the Lord Jesus Christ for this answer. And kill him, they truly did. Because he said that God loves sinners. Not only does God love sinners, but when he sees one that is willing to turn even in the direction of him, and he knows that this one is turning, that he will run out and meet him, even though he still has the smell of the pig on him and the pig pen. He will go in the direction to receive that one. And Jesus gave a living demonstration of this kind of love of God. 
He was always out seeking and searching uh, for those who were lost and those who were in need. And when they tried to pressure him to change or die, it is interesting to note that the Lord Jesus Christ did not change course one degree, knowing full well uh, that he was signing his death warrant. And I suppose it is quite fitting, is it not, that when Jesus died, he died as he lived between two sinners on a cross. And so conscious of the sinners on each side that when one of them turned to him, hardly knowing what he was saying, but he had heard the crowd say and was able to read the inscription over the Jesus' head, the king of the Jews, and he had vaguely in mind there would be some kingdom somewhere. And the one sinner said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the last words that the Lord Jesus Christ said here upon the face of this earth to another human being was said to a sinner. And these words were reassuring indeed. Now this day, wherever my kingdom is, you will be with me. Of course, Jesus didn't say wherever my kingdom is because he knew that you will be with me in my kingdom. Now, I have said this, and I want to ask you a question. Have I been true to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as he lived and as he's taught in this book? If I am, let the church say amen. I'm listening let the church say amen. amen. I'm glad you said that. Because that is the center of the gospel. And I have been faithful to it this morning. And this is the day of Pentecost. And the day that the power of God entered into his church. In order that we might be able to keep and to maintain what Jesus taught and demonstrated. And so, dear ones, let me say to you that if we fail to do uh, what I have brought to you as a center of the Word of God and as a demonstration of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we do not keep it, uh, then the fault is with us, not God, because God has done everything in His power to reveal to us the truth of the gospel, the center of it, what is at the very heart of it, and He has also empowered us through the Holy Spirit that this is a Sunday that we know as the day of Pentecost to empower us, to be able to keep in, in a demonstration of what we have been taught from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I would think, is it not so, that if the Lord Jesus Christ lived, taught, and died for love, it must be mighty important. It must be. It must be. I remember a story... A true one. I remember this woman and her son so well because her son was about my age. And he had a very ugly scar on his face, one side of his face. And his mother had a very ugly scar on one side of her face. And I remember one day being old enough and seeing this mother and how she was, you could tell she had been a beautiful lady, but this scar had disfigured her considerably. And I asked the question, what happened? And this is the thing that happened when this little one, son of hers, was very small and still in the cradle. The one summer day that she was out in the garden, close to the house, attending the garden, and she looked back toward the house, and the house was on fire in a raging inferno. 
And time the neighbors got over to the house to help her, she dashed into that raging fire. And the neighbors knew full well that they would never see her alive again. And she raced into that house to get her son to rescue him, those little baby in the cradle. And she rescued her son after he was burning and, of course, after she was burned very severely. But this is what love will do. No one questioned whether or not that mother loved her little baby son. And I am quite sure that that son never questioned the love of his mother. When we look what God has done for us, when we begin to see what Jesus Christ is really saying about a loving father, and when we see a demonstration of what Jesus did, is it any question in your mind about the love of God? Or is it any question in your mind about what is essential uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ and what he thought was most important. And my friend, any way you want to look at it and whatever else you may want to say about it, you can reduce it to this, yes. Jesus thought love was one of the most important things uh, that you and I can be involved in. And I want to tell you why that love is so important and why you and I today should give a demonstration of uh, this love of the Lord Jesus Christ and God that, that he has for us. Number one, because it is the way of God. Simply because it is the way of God. We sing these old hymns, especially this one, The Way of the Cross Leads Home, and we wonder what in the world was the hymn writer talking about? Does he mean we should have a cross in front of us physically all the time, or it means we ought to carry a big cross around? No, the thing about it is he was saying the same thing that Jesus is saying about this story in the way that we ought to demonstrate the love of God. The way of that cross, my friend, is the way of love. They're one and the same. And that's precisely what the writer had in mind because it is the way of God. Now listen, there is no other way. There isn't any other way. Only love. Now, you may do some fantastic and wonderful things, and you do it, and it's not prompted by love. You're doing a good thing, but it's for the wrong reason. And I want you to know that I have spent a great deal of my life doing the right thing for the wrong reason. And it's so easy to do. It is so easy to do. What prompts you to give to your church? What prompts you to be kind and considerate and loving and understanding to one another? Because you want some return or because you love the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one way. There's only one way. Secondly, it is the only way that your life will ever be filled. I hope you believe that. It is the only way that your life will ever come to the place where you can say this is fantastic. This is wonderful. This is absolutely great. Fame, fortune, power, wealth, all these other things are wonderful and good in their place, but it will not fulfill your life where you can come to the place where you can say, even if it's been raining every weekend for the last 10 or 12 weekends, you can say in the citadel of your heart and your soul, it is wonderful, it's fantastic, and my life is fulfilled because it doesn't depend on the weather. It is the only way that your life will ever be filled. 
Now, this is why you must give spiritual affirmation and a demonstration of the love of God. And seemingly, that is the most difficult thing for us to learn and the most difficult thing for us to do. We know where the haters are, but where are the lovers? Where have they gone? It's a sad thing to live and never love anyone. It's a sadder thing to live and to have cared and loved someone and never get around to telling that one that you love them. Professor Powell, that teaches at Cornell University in Washington, D.C., has written this little book, Unconditional Love. And he tells about a young man in his class that he taught, and he tried the best he could to win this young man to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives all of his students in the class that he taught in religion and was not able to do it. And the young man graduated with a very cynical attitude and went out into this world. And then a year or so later, he came back and told his professor that he was dying. The doctors told him that he was dying. He had picked up a dreadful disease, one that in some cases you die slowly. And he was dying slowly. And he thought about his old professor. And he comes back to talk to his old professor. And these are some of the words that uh, the conversation that they had. And if you have this book, you'll recognize from whence I'm reading. And a young man tells his old professor, he says, I've decided to spend what time I have left doing something more profitable. I thought about you and your class, and I remembered something else you had said. The essential sadness is to go through life without love. It would be almost equally sad to go through life and leave this world without ever telling those you love that you love them. So I began with the hardest one for me, my dad. He was reading the newspaper when I approached him, and I said, Dad, yes, what? He asked without even lowering his newspaper. Dad, I want to talk to you. Well, talk, son. I mean, it is really important, Dad. The newspaper came down three slow inches. Well, what is it? Dad, I love you, and I just want you to know that. The newspaper fluttered to the floor. And then my father did two things I could never remember him ever doing before. He cried and hugged me. And we talked the whole night through, even though he had to go to work the next morning. It felt so good to be so close to my father and to see his tears and to feel his hug and to hear him say, son, I love you. It was easier with my mother and little brother. They cried with me, too. And we hugged each other and we started to saying real nice things to each other. We shared the things that we had been keeping secret for so many years. And I was only sorry about one thing, that I had waited so long. Here I was in the shadow of death, and I was just beginning to open up to all the people I had actually been close to in my whole life. What? Does God think about sinners? He loves them. And so should we.
and one another. O oh, our Father, may we see the simple truth and may we recognize it as the great truth and profound truth that it really is. And set our hearts, our souls, our mind to be reflection of your love and of your glory. For we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of his words, finishing the work he started and making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven.